My friends, do you notice something uh, very unusual, at least I think it's unusual, certainly uh, different between the way the scribe in today's gospel approaches our Lord and the way the scribes and Pharisees, the Sadducees normally approached Jesus. This scribe seems to come to Jesus not in a critical spirit of conflict, but with a totally different tone, especially if we examine what has happened since last Sunday when Jesus encountered the blind man, Bartimaeus. Since encountering Bartimaeus, now following the Lord, right, the Lord uh, marched in triumph on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. Hosanna to their king. Surely this raised some eyebrows amongst the religious leaders. The Lord cleansed the temple, causing the chief priests and the scribes to seek a way to put him to death. His authority was being questioned. The Pharisees and the Herodians tried to ensnare Jesus regarding the payment of the temple tax to Caesar. Our Lord embarrasses them, saying, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. And finally, right before uh, this encounter, the Sadducees challenged Jesus on the reality of the resurrection. And our Lord turned the tables on them. There was clear opposition that was building. But this scribe seems different, doesn't he? He seems to be seeking God's will and not his own. He is sincere in his truth, beauty, and goodness seeking. And his sincerity, his authentic search, is truly rewarded. We are the beneficiaries. The scribe asked Jesus, which is the first of the commandments? And Jesus responds by summarizing the teaching of the entire Old Covenant with two commandments. The first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus, of course, is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Shema, a summary, really, of the detailing of their faith that the Jews had in one God, so contrary to the uh, polyistic theology of this time. Jesus continues, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and neighbor is a summary of the whole Mosaic law, especially the Ten Commandments, of course. It is a summary really, of the teaching of the entire Old Covenant. Equally important, we see that our Lord is providing an important hierarchy today. First, we must love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then, after loving God totally, totally abandoning ourselves to him in love, Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Of course, this properly assumes a rightly ordered self-love. Our Lord is referencing uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Only after we have turned to God in love are we able to properly love ourselves and all our neighbors. This pattern, first God, then the other, should seem very familiar to us. After all, the Our Father follows this same sort of pattern. The first three petitions to the Heavenly Father, 
the fourth, three uh, fourths, uh, petitions all relate to us. The Ten Commandments the same. Those first three commandments relate to our relationship with God. The last seven relate to our relationship with each other. So too, many of you probably are praying as the Catechism encourages us to with this acronym ACTS, ACTS, Adoration, Contrition, Thanksgiving. They all relate to our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's about Him. Perhaps we get around it uh, to uh, doing that fourth uh, letter S, supplication, where we ask God for stuff. Him first, then us. Even the Mass is uh, rightly ordered in the same pattern. We come here to fulfill our Sunday obligation, not in the reception of the gift, but in the outpouring of ourselves in love for the Lord. God first, then us. My friends, no doubt this is a very familiar gospel lesson, but it's still one that I think so many get wrong. So many do not know what it means to love. So many are greatly influenced by the world, which teaches us that love is what makes us feel good. Modern society is filled with hedonists that are seeking pleasure. Or equally bad, many believe themselves to be unlovable, that I can't be loved. And if I can't love myself, I certainly can't love the other. So many do not realize, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, that God does not love us because we are good. He loves us because he is good. So sadly, many do not realize, as Pope St. John Paul II said, that we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to become the image of his Son, Jesus. So many do not realize that God's love is unconditional, that it does not require us to earn it. We don't first have to be good before he will love us. There is no merit required. Many don't realize that it is freely and abundantly given that the Lord pours forth, really, from the blood of his cross, his love abundantly upon us. Sadly, so many do not know or believe these things. But please, God, you do, for it is true. And therefore, it is right and just that we spend our whole lives, really all of our energy, trying to return this love, giving thanks for this love, for God is love. And it is out of love that he willed you and me and literally all of creation into existence. Not out of necessity, God didn't have to do this, but he did it out of love and he delights in each one of us. And our whole life's mission is to return that love. First, of course, to God, after all, he is the one that created us than to our neighbor, because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us that to love is to will the good of the other. Therefore, love, in a real sense, is not about us. Love is not about you, it's not about me, it's about the other. So many do not know this. It's no wonder we, as a society, get so many things wrong. 
course, we get abortion wrong, not just in our country, but throughout the world, because we don't know what it means to love. Sadly, the vast majority uh, of women end the life of their child because he or she is inconvenient. But sadly so, too, uh, is wrong. Uh, many pro-lifers uh, see this mother as the enemy. She's not the enemy. She's just broken. You know, there's an organization, I know I've mentioned them before, but they boast a 98% success rate in getting a woman to change her mind and to bring her baby to term. Their simple technique is to love the mother. No one really wants an abortion. Either she has buried her thought of what is happening, or she wrongly feels that she has no choice. So many get so many things wrong because we don't know how to love. But so too in the church. Sadly, many, probably more than half of Catholics, reject our teaching in regards to contraception. But does not Pope St. John Paul II get it right when he says the opposite of love is not hate? The opposite of love is to use another person as a means to an end. It's no wonder we have such a contraceptive mentality then, even in the church, because we really don't know what love is. Love is about the other. Isn't this also at the heart of what is going on in our schools these days? This pushing of critical race theory that does not unite, it divides. It creates victims and oppressors. It teaches our kids to hate. But so too with this transgender uh, issue that's going on. It's insanity. These kids are suffering. Of course they are. But surgery is not the answer. Counseling is the answer. Love is the answer. It is child abuse to surgically mutilate our kids. This is not love. This is not from the Lord. And there is an important election on Tuesday. The choice is clear, and the consequences of getting this wrong are disastrous. Our love of the Lord ought to transform our whole lives. It necessarily moves us to love ourselves and our neighbor. And our love of ourselves and neighbor, our happiness, necessarily requires a love of the Lord, a complete love of the Lord. You know, St. John Chrysostom, I think, challenges us in this way with a very beautiful quote. He says that we love God only as much as we love our least favorite neighbor. I don't know about you, but this is a frightening thing to contemplate how little I love the Lord, it seems, sometimes. I don't always love my neighbor. Do we truly realize that we cannot go to heaven? We cannot be in heaven with the Lord if we do not love everyone that will be there too. We ought to think on that. You know, my friend Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Each of us then should be asking ourselves some very serious questions, myself included. First, who is the ultimate authority in my life? Of course, it ought to be Christ in this church. It'd be good to do some soul-searching then and examine what our actions and inactions 
say about who we have granted authority to. To grant authority to Jesus is to embrace all his teachings and then do our best to follow them, knowing, of course, we're going to fail, perhaps fail often. But we do our best and we embrace the grace offered. You know, cafeteria Catholics, those who pick and choose what teachings they will follow, reject the others like so many of our politicians these days, by definition, they have made themselves the ultimate authority. Are not loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. My friends, if we go priest shopping, if we go to try to find a priest or even a bishop that believes what we believe about these various contemporary issues, is Jesus then really the authority? Or have we made ourselves the authority? We simply look to have our ears tickled. There will always be a Father Martin in the church. There will always be a Father Martin feeding the faithful of heretical lies that embrace comfort and reject the cross. This is not the gospel. But there is no love without truth. But also, truth without love is just mean. It's mean. Second, what does Jesus and his church say about a particular action or inaction? We have to figure that out and then do that or don't do that. What would Jesus do is a very good question. Of course, he would love. He would love first, but he'd also, when necessary, correct. Truth in love. Love in truth. Finally, am I truly in love with God if I persist in grave sin? Or am I truly in love with God if I spend more time on social media that I do in conversation with him each day? And do I truly love my neighbor, especially those in my circle of influence, if I allow them to persist in grave sin too? It is easier, of course, it's much safer for sure to ignore uh, their actions or inactions than to try to help them find true and everlasting peace. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the Father. He will do the work so that they can find true and everlasting peace and joy. My friend, St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, gets it right when he says the whole world revolves back and forth between two mysteries. How can God love me so much that he would send his only son to die for me? And how can I go on sinning knowing of this love? You know, my friends, we do have the source of truth, beauty, and goodness itself here in the church, especially here in this Holy Mass. And we have so many wonderful examples. I've been praying about this throughout the week. Our military servicemen and women, of course, giving us an example of sacrificial love for our country. All first responders, of course, the police officers, the firefighters, the nurses, and doctors have been on the front lines of this pandemic for the last year and a half and are oftentimes so underappreciated. So to our teachers, working for almost nothing to bring our kids up in the faith here at our school and just to teach our kids important lessons. Priests and deacons too, please. But also what has been on my heart all week have been the parents 
you know, we are a very fruitful parish. We're having lots of babies these days. And, you know, well, I had to sleep on the roof on Thursday as part of the uh, school fundraising efforts. And, uh, you know, I was tempted to complain because I got about no sleep. And then I was reminded of the parents. You guys never get any sleep. <laughs> it's one day after another of sacrificial love for your children. What a beautiful example of today's gospel in you. My friends, maybe like the scribe, it is time. It is time for all of us to have one of those top of the mountain sort of moments like Elijah. Elijah's moment of encouraging the people of Israel to get off the fence. And let us help others to come to these sort of top-of-the-mountain moments as well. Elijah asked the people of God, and he's asking all of us a beautiful question. How long will we straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If money and power and Facebook and soccer and NFL, whatever it is, is God, then follow them. Perhaps today is the day, no doubt today is the day, for each of us to take an inventory and to see how we are doing against the all-in measuring stick the Lord gives us today, to see how badly we want the kingdom, to see how badly we desire eternal life, to see how much we love the Lord and how much we trust in his plan for each of us. May we, like the scribe in today's gospel, be truly open to the movement of grace, to truly be seekers of truth, beauty, and goodness, sincere in our search. My friends, uh, after this encounter with the scribe, the Lord would ultimately end up in that upper room with the Last Supper. In that upper room, he gave us a new commandment. To this scribe and to all of us who told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But after giving us the Eucharist at the Last Supper, he said, love as I love you. Love to the cross. Love unto death. Until he gave us himself in heavenly food, in the non-bloody sacrifice of the Mass, we could not possibly come close to loving like he does. But it is possible, through the grace of this Holy Mass, to embrace the grace of his word and the sacrament here in a few minutes and to be truly transformed to beautiful vessels of love. So let us embrace the grace here now, and then go out there into a darkened world on fire in God's love. And may God be praised. Amen.